I am glad to be here. I will tell you this, the Lord has certainly answered your prayers. I ask you to pray for Charlene, and she's been absolutely wonderful. And she wants to thank you for praying for me because I've been somewhat tolerable in these last few weeks. It's amazing what you go through sometimes when you have a lot of time on your hands and go through something you don't want to do and experience something you really don't like, which is what I've done the last two weeks. But sometimes some good things come up. But I had a dream uh, as I was obviously in Never Never Land. It's amazing. I just had something come run through my mind. I, I uh, uh, began to get a vision of heaven. And the process, I, I thought, Lord, I've, here I'm died and gone, and man, I'm here. And, and uh, Michael the archangel met me and said, man, we're so glad you're here. We, of course, we've been expecting you. And here's what we want you to do, to appreciate what all God has done for you, to really enjoy the fullness of his grace. We, we want you to, to do something before you just enter in. We want you to, I'm going to give you a piece of chalk, and I, and I want you to go back and remember the things in your life the sins and the failures, and just as you, as you make a mark, just go up this ladder each time you make a mark, and, and uh, that'll be a way of you realizing just what God's done for you. And I thought, oh, that's pretty neat. That's pretty good. And so I, I can take this piece of chalk, and, and, I'm, and I'm moving up this ladder, and I'm marking, 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 and I'm marking. And not even realizing it, I felt this excruciating pain as I looked up and realized someone stepped on my hand. And it was Eric coming down to get another piece of chalk. He had run out. I'm just kidding. I didn't really have that dream. But I thought I'd just have fun with you guys. Uh, I do want to talk to you about something very serious today. It's been on my heart for several months. I think about our core values as a church, and I'm going to be doing some sermons on core values. And I think to start here is the only place to really start if we're to understand our core values. I hope my voice is not quite 100%. I know that. So I'm going to try to speak clearly and slowly. Maybe a little different today. But I want you to get this. This message may be for many, it may be for a few. I assure you it's for me. Motive is everything. I'm going to read the verses in a minute. We'll go to some verses, Proverbs 4, and I'll go ahead and read that with you. Proverbs chapter 4 says this. Guard your heart above all else, verse 23, for it is the source of life. Guard your heart, for it is what true life comes from. The heart, the inner being, the central part of your emotion and your thinking and your decision making and your will. The you. Guard your heart. Motive is everything. We kind of know that and talk about it, but, but I want you to say that motive really is everything. We live in a place and time where we have valued a lot of things, and a lot of things are admiral to value. 
But I want our motives direct, and I want you to look at this as an introduction. Our motives direct what we value. And what we value determines how we act. So this is a great connection that must take place. There are many admirable motives we can have in our spiritual life. But what should be our primary motive to experience authentic spiritual maturity? Now, I want you to hear what I'm about to say. I am, as I have been in the ministry for now about 33 years, been to a lot of places, preached a lot of places, seen a lot of things, talked to a lot of pastors, talked to a lot of church people. And what I sense is sometimes a frustration of a lack of maturity. Maturity. Oh, we're busy, but are we mature? We're setting standards and records, but are we mature? Because the process of the gospel and the power of the gospel life is to change me from dark to light and from sinner to saint. And then I am to go on a journey of maturing. Now I'm preaching a message basically to the church today. But I want to come back to if you've never given your heart to Christ. I, I want to close up talking to you. Because it's important you get this. But guys as a people of God we have got to get this today. And I got a problem. I don't have a watch. And I'm going to need one. I ain't preached in two weeks. I need one bigger net. Ah, good to be home. Okay. Um, I want you to think with me a moment and use your imagination as we talk about our maturity. How do we get where we really, really want to be in God? See, I think most Christians really want to be awesome for God. I think they want to be empowered to do great things for God. I believe that. But the question rises, why aren't we seeing that surface today in our churches? Why is it 80% of our churches are basically declining? Why is it there's so much frustration and irritation and aggravation among the body of Christ? Why is it we seem to be more of a victim than a victor? What is it? What is this thing that we need to grab hold of that perhaps we had all our comings and goings have overlooked? Well, I want you to use your imagination with me for a second and, I, and, and, and just think outside the box for a moment. Let's imagine, and I'm going to come back to the notes, don't worry about it, but I want you to imagine that, that you're on this path, you've been saved, you, and in being saved you have this desire to live a life that's godly. You want to live godly. And you're now trying, how do I get to that objective in my life? How did I get to the actions that reflect godliness? What should my motive be? And what is my value that affects my actions? And so I begin to think about this. And I think as we, perhaps I think that what I see has happened in the body of Christ and the believers is this. We get on this journey of salvation. We've repented. We've changed direction. We're going the right way. And all of a sudden, we come to this, this fork in the road. And there's two signs. One sign says... Please God. And the other sign says, trust God. And they're going opposite ways. 
And I, on my spiritual journey, would ponder, and I look, well, please God, trust God. Well, I know I want to be godly, and I want to do something that's effective, so surely what must I do? Well, trusting God just seems a little passive, but pleasing God seems to light my fire. I like that. That means I'm going to be active and involved and not going to have to be so laid back. I, I, I like pleasing God. So I begin to take this journey, and, and, and I, I begin to realize, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go this path that says I'm going to please God. And, and in so doing, I, I follow the path because I'm on pleasing. And he will be pleased with me because that's what I really want. Isn't that what you really want? Don't you want God to be pleased with you? Boy, I want to be pleased with me. Do you want to be pleased with you? Well, I, I think the pleasing thing seems to be the ticket. So that's the, that's the relationship I want. You see, that's my motivation. I, I want God to be pleased with me, and, 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 and I want to please him. So now, let's take about this. I go up this path. This path leads me to a door. That has a sign that reads, striving to be all God wants me to be. And I go, man, this is the place I've been looking for. Because I want to be all God wants me to be. That's my value in life. That's what I want. Ah, man, this is the place I've been looking for in my spiritual journey, in my discipleship. So I turn the doorknob of sincere effort. And I go... Well, this, this is my place, what I've been looking for, a place I can invest in and, 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 and do the things I really want to do that's going to please God. So I enter this door, and I walk into this huge room, and I met with a greeter. And the greet, greeter says to me, welcome to the room of good intentions. I'm thinking, well, that's what I have. I have good intentions. I intend to be godly. I intend to please God. I, I certainly want to do that. Sounds like I'm in the right place. The room of good intentions. So good so far. I'm kind of excited. And then the greeter says, how are you doing? And I say, well, you know, I've had some struggles. I'm trying to figure out my spiritual journey. I sometimes feel like I'm not effective and I, I, I miss the mark. And and. And, and she puts her finger to her lips and says, shh, shh, shh. Everybody here is fine. We're all fine. We're fine. And I noticed something about this room. Everybody's wearing a mask. They're in the room of good intentions. They're... Heart's desire is to please God, that God would be pleased with them. And so they say everything is fine. I learned pretty quick, if I'm going to fit in this room, I've got to say everything's fine. So I found in this room, there's no talking about your pain or your doubt or your fear, or your struggle. Because if somebody asks, you simply say, I'm fine. I'm fine. I don't, have to, I don't talk about my worry. 
And so I go to the work of being all I can be. I, I'm striving and I'm working hard and I'm going to church more and I'm trying to do harder. I'm trying to do better. I'm trying to do more good things, less bad things. And I'm, I'm spending just, I want God, I'm just trying to find you. I'm trying to seek you. I want more of you. And I know all these things. That, and I, I feel so overwhelmed. And yet when people ask, hey, I'm, I'm okay. When's the last time you ever felt you could say, God, I'm just struggling today. I'm just absolutely struggling. And much less you couldn't. You say, okay, when's the last time you told somebody you were struggling? So, oh, Pastor, we can't do that because we're all fine. We're all fine. I'm fine. Oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. I... I'll never mention the prodigal child I have because I'm fine. I won't talk about my shaky marriage because I'm fine. Uh, Troubling relationships, sins that entangle me. I'm just going to do what they all do in the room. There's what the slogans, well, you know, sell out, you know, care more, get on fire, shape up, work harder, do more, pray longer, go to church more, get more involved. Guys, all these are admirable. But that, should that be my primary motivation? Should that what really moves me in my spiritual journey of maturity? Because I've watched people in this room. I've watched some of you. I've looked in the mirror. And I find if I get caught in this room, I'm pretty miserable after a while. I feel a disconnect. You see, because in this room, the, the, the slogan on the back of the wall is living and I'm going to live under this banner that's on the back of the wall. Working on my sin and struggles to achieve an intimate relationship with God. That's my action. My motivation is to please God. My value is to, is to really strive to do, be all God wants me to be. That's my value. There's nothing wrong with that. And then, But my action is now I'm going to work at it with all that I've got, with all that I have, with every bit of energy, with every bit of thought, with all my heart, mind, with both, all my body. You say, well, Pastor, isn't that biblical? I don't know. We'll come back to it. We'll come back to it. Is it a grinding out of faith that we need or a growing in faith? We're left exhausted, frustrated, disappointed, irritated, and disconnected from the abundant life that Christ promised. As he said that I could have life, spiritual life, eternal life, in John 10, 10, have it more abundantly. You have an abundant life? Really? That's a serious question, isn't it? I mean, God says I can have it. God doesn't lie. What am I to do? I have found way too often in the body of Christ, we are hoping for the rewards of faith without the demonstration of faith. The lost world is not 
impressed with us because they see us as a tired, weary, beat down, wore out people. And I'm convinced it's because of our motivation. Our motivation. I, I think about this, and I want to help you fill in the blanks the first point now. If my primary motive is to please God, we will develop a performance-based relationship that brings little fulfillment and no freedom. If that is my primary motivation, nothing wrong with wanting to please God, but it has to be in the right order. And I am convinced today that one of the, 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 the sicknesses in the body of Christ is that we have got this out of order. So if, I, if, if it's to please God, I, I'm going to develop, a, I'm going to be God. I hope I'm pleasing you today, God. I'm trying to please you today, God. Hell, oh, God, I want to do something else. What else can I do? Where else do you want me to go? What more can I do? What other Bible study can I do? What, what next Bethmore conference can I go to? What can I do? What evangelism conference can I go God, what else can I do? Oh, I'll read the Old Testament and the New Testament each day. Ah, that's what I'll do. And it's probably fault, it's preacher's fault because we've been telling people you've got to do more, work harder. Man, you've got to be involved, be committed, be dedicated. There's times I've probably implied that to you, and if I, I, I'm very sorry for that. I haven't been as clear as I need to be, so today I want to be very clear. Finally, you get so fed up with the room and you go, maybe I should have took the other path. <laughs> and so you, yeah, I go, man, I'm, I'm going to check out this other path because this one isn't quite what I thought it would be. I've worked hard. I'm, I'm wore out. I've done all I can do. And I, I still don't have that abundant life that Christ told me I could have. I'm saved. I'm going to go to heaven. But isn't there more? So I retreat back and come to that other signpost that says, trust God. And, you know, it's, it's not a very traveled path, which makes me a little unsure. But what have I got to lose? So I begin to, to move to this, to this path. Now my motive is simply trusting God. Okay, that's my motive. I've had a shift of motive and a path less traveled. So the journey begins. A little slower than before because I'm a little more skeptical. I finally come to a door with a sign that reads, Living out of who God says I am. All of a sudden, the emphasis has changed for me, and now it's on God. Ooh, that's something different. That's my value. Now my value is based on who God says I am, not on what I can do. That's different, isn't it? 
And you're thinking, Pastor, I don't know about this now. This is a little tough. Do you know what God says about me? Do you know what he says about you? He says, I'm the sheep of his pasture. That means he's my shepherd. I am the sheep. I belong to him. And he's told me that it is his father's good pleasure to give me the kingdom. That's what he says about me. He says that I am a part of his body. And I am in him and he is in me. He says that I am salt and light. Wow. It's not that I need to try to be salt and light. I am salt and light. He says, I'm a saint. I'm a saint. Wow. Sometimes it doesn't seem like it. I'm a saint. He tells me I'm an ambassador of his kingdom. I'm an ambassador. He says I'm a joint heir with him. This is what he says about me. And if you understand, and and let me help you here. He, He says... In, in, in Ephesians, through the book of Ephesians, and I'm not going to read it, but it says, in Ephesians chapter 1, it says, I'm a blessed person. I am blessed. I'm not going to be blessed. I, I'm not in the, if I work hard, I'm, he says, no, I am blessed. And in and, and, and Ephesians 1, 4, I am chosen and holy. In the eyes of God, I'm already all that I'm going to be. And I'm adopted, verse 1, 5. He says, I'm adopted. I, I've chosen you. I've received you for who you are. I am forgiven, according to Ephesians 1, 7. I've been forgiven of all my sin, of all my trespass. And verses 7, I'm favored of God. I have the grace of God that falls on my life. It's grace. And it's beyond imagination. I'm close to God, according to Ephesians 2.13. I am loved by God, according to Ephesians 3.17-19. Man, I, I am promised great things by God, Ephesians 3.6. I am cherished by God, Ephesians 5.29. Man, I am somebody in God. I'm not trying to get there. I'm there. Here's my challenge as a follower of Christ. How do I get where I am experiencing what he said I was? Because he don't lie. So how is it God help me to understand? How can all this be working in my life? Because I don't feel like I'm there. And I've been trying all my life to get there. And I haven't made it yet. I haven't made it yet. And so, intrigued with such thoughts that I can simply (laughs) live out who God says I am. I turn the doorknob of humility Mm. It's not what about I'm doing now. It's not what I can say I've done. So I go into this room and I meet the greeter. <laughs> but I've carried my mask with me because I, I've already been it with a crowd and I know how it is. And the greeter says, welcome to the room of grace. 
how are you doing? And I say, I'm fine. I'm fine. Oh, I'm fine. And the greeter says, you don't have to be fine. You just need to be authentic. And in this room, people are opening up. And they talk about their hurt and their pain and their disappointment and their wayward child and their struggling marriage and the zero balance in their bank account and maybe the stronghold they fight in their life. They talk about sin that's not yet conquered. They take off the mask. They say, my heart aches. My body hurts. My struggles are real. I'm afraid of tomorrow. I don't know what the future holds in my retirement account. I battle a stronghold. There's no mask in the room of grace. The biggest stumbling block in the church today is way too many of us wear masks. You know, everything's fine. Trying to be all God wants me to be. Trying to please God so he'll be pleased with me. This room has a banner in the back that says this. Standing with God, my sin and struggle in front of me, working on it together. Now that's my action. Okay? Okay? Could it be that we can come to a place in our spiritual journey that we trust in the sufficiency of Christ and not in the success of our ability? Could it be that we are trusting for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to work in me for God's glory and stop trying to do everything in the resources of the flesh? Could I finally trust God to be God? Not with my limited model of God or my limited thought of God. But could I finally trust God to be God? Doing, trusting him to do only that what he can do. Trusting him to do what he said he would do. Oh, guys, we need to experience the sufficiency of grace, not the success of grinding out our life every day. We are not to grind. We are to grow in faith. Hebrews 11.6 says this. Let me read it to you. Let me read it to you. 
Let me read it to you. Hebrews 11.6. Now without faith, it is impossible. It is what? It is what? What did it say? Again, what did it say? It is impossible to please God. Now, either this is truth or it isn't. It is an abramotive to want to please God. It should be a part of our regenerated life. But if it is the primary motive, we will miss the whole purpose of why we are here. Without faith, it is impossible to please God For the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and rewards those who seek him. The greatest core value of my life and the life of a church and your life is that we are a people of faith who trust God as our primary motive for living. And yet we've allowed so many substitutes to push that aside. And we're busy. Oh, we're very busy. We're very involved. We're very committed. But are we trusting God? For when I trust God, I say to God, I can trust you with who I am. Let me tell you what I learned about trust these past two weeks. I went to see a doctor. I met one time. I liked him. I only met him one time. I, I don't know much about him. But, but I met him one time. I met this guy one time. And because of how he described my situation, I was going to have an umbilical hernia fixed and and, and in the process, I realized I had a hiatal hernia that was causing me acid reflux. I had that for a long time, did nothing about it, and should have done something a long time ago. But so finally, I go and get all these tests done and get everything, and they were great. I prayed about it. I said, God, they, they don't want to do both of them. They want me to wait on the other one, but I'm trusting you. I, I want you to open the door. They're saying I can't even get all the tests done by this time, but I don't want to go through two recoveries, and I think I really need this, and there's reasons why I should have this done. And, and so, Lord, I, but I'm trusting you. If the door closes, the door closes. I'm not going to worry about it. I'm not going to fret. I'm not going to get up there and, and, and fuss out the office manager. I'm just going to say, Lord, here it is. And lo and behold, this office moved heaven and earth to get two tests done that said couldn't be done. And did them in the same day, as a matter of fact. And they, they came and they discovered what was taking place in my stomach. And, and so he said, here's what we've got to do, man. You got, you got some of your stomach is in your diaphragm. Holding your diaphragm is about, about like this, it seems to be. And, and it's just up in there. And we've got we to gotta go get that and, and, and wrap the stomach around your esophagus and take care of your acid reflux. We'll fix the umbilical. We'll do it both times. Hey, about an hour, hour and a half surgery. I said, hey, great, man, great. But I left there and I was aware that, dear Lord, I, I've met this man one time. I don't know him. I don't know how good he is. I hear he's great. 
But God, I got to talk to you. Because when it's all said and done, I'm really putting my life in your hands. I'm going to trust you. What needs to be done, what's got to happen, and I'm going to trust you. And I've trusted you with my life. I've, I've trusted you with my salvation. And I don't want to do a surgery. I don't like hospitals. And I mean, I've seen what people go through after surgery. I, I just don't want to do that. But I guess it's time. And I'm going to trust you for the results and recovery. I'll trust you if my days are numbered, my time's over, I'll go and be with you. That'd be okay. I'm going to trust you. Because you said you'd never leave me or forsake me. I'd never be alone. So I, I trust you. I said, Lord, I'm kind of scared over this. Actually, I'm not kind of scared. I'm a lot scared. I don't want to do this. Okay. He said, he said, Pastor, don't worry about it. He said, I want you to take the first Sunday off after I get through, because I just think you need to, but you'll be back up running, no problem. Well, surgery occurred, and I had two-thirds of my stomach in my diaphragm, which is a very serious condition. Uh, they were amazed I had not had any pain or any problems swallowing and not being choked. Uh, but so the surgery turned into about a three, three and a half hour surgery and recovery and so forth and so on. And, and uh, uh, I look forward to meeting with him Tuesday and saying, tell me what all you did to me because I want to know. And then I had about three days. I thought it would be better to die than live, quite honestly. I learned something about trust. I trusted this doctor to do what he said he'd do. Guys, if I can trust a man I've met one time that has three degrees hanging on his wall, why is it so hard to trust my God? who's left his fingerprints of power all around me. Why do I run from it so? Why do I resist it so much? Why? Why? If we refuse to enter the room of grace, we constantly strive in the room of good intentions. Uh, we're trying to be godly, but we're tired and we're irritable. We fuss and we fight because we're trying to please God. But in the room of grace, we grow to maturity, looking like Jesus. First room creates that performance-driven relationship. But in the room of grace, God becomes responsible for empowering me. If I come to say, God, I want to trust you with my 
with my issue. If I trust me, say, I want you to go see a counselor. I want you to go talk to the pastor. I want you to go talk to your Sunday school teacher. I want you to go talk to your best friend. See, he will respond if I will trust him. He may say, I think you're doing too much. Oh. You see, I'm convinced we are sometimes out of balance because we're not trusting God. We're just trying to please him. And therefore, we don't trust him with the very base elements of our life. And I'm going to talk about those in the next few weeks. Trust opens the way for this process for God to bring you to maturity. It'll never happen without it. Because the backdrop of everything I do in the kingdom of God must be behind the picture of faith. I cannot please God without faith. It's impossible. If I'm in church every Sunday, if I teach a Sunday school class, if I do all the right stuff and everybody says I'm so wonderful. If I am not walking by faith, believing that God will empower me with the Holy Spirit to live out my life that will honor and glorify Him, I will not be growing. I'll be grinding. Believing who God says I am. It's kind of hard, isn't it? If you were to take the DNA of a caterpillar, you know what the DNA would say? A caterpillar, which we look as kind of that fuzzy thing that walks on many legs and kind of weird looking, ugly looking, we don't like them. But the DNA of a caterpillar is he's a butterfly. My DNA as a believer, when I was saved, God put in me the fact that I'm the sheep of his pasture, I'm a child of the king. I'm a saint that is being sanctified for the day I stand before God. I am who he says I am. I don't have to listen to the devil's lies or his accusations or others for that matter. I trust God that I may grow into maturity. You ready to take off the mask? Can we trust God? Really? I realize you're going to have to think about this one a while. I hope you will. But maybe you just want to act on a day. If you're here and you've never trusted Christ, can I tell you why so many people do not trust Christ? They have a problem with the trusting thing. You're not saved because you've not trusted God. And the reason you've not trusted God is because you're like a lot of Christians. You see, you're trying to figure out how to make it work, how to live that God will like you and please you, and they'll be pleased with you. You're trying to figure out if I can just do the right stuff, God's going to finally like me. And then he can save me. Or if I can just finally work hard enough, I think I'll get where God will just have favor on me, and, and I'll, I'll be okay then. And then he can save me. And so you resist The simplicity of the gospel that says, if you'll trust me with your sin, just as you are, I will make you a saint. And the trouble is, we just don't think it can be that way, do we? No, it just can't work that way. I got to do some stuff. I see how busy those Christians are down at the church, man. I got to do something. I got to fit in. I got to do a little better. I got to change my life. 
My friend, without Christ, you have no hope of ever changing your life. Because only he can wash away your sin. Only his blood is enough, to, sufficient enough to take care of your issue. So here we are. I want to invite you today to trust Jesus. Would you bow your heads? I want to invite you to trust Christ today. Finally, quit trying to change your life. Quit trying to work at it. And say, God, here I am. Just as I am. Only trust Him. Only trust Him now. He will save you. Christian, are you tired of the struggle and the bondage of trying to please God without trusting Him? Why don't you put the mask down today? Looking for church home, why don't you come join with us? I believe we have a church that you can trust Him in. Would you come?